It's interesting. I um I took the test from him. I didn't look at it right away. I remember I, I remember asking myself, what what do I what do I want it to be? And I remember thinking specifically in that moment, I I, I kind of want it to be positive, and it was. Welcome to the Art of Fatherhood, a podcast that takes you on the journey of fatherhood. Now here's your host, Art Eddy. Today's episode is sponsored by Athletic Brewing Company, America's leading non-alcoholic craft brewer. Have you been thinking about cutting back on alcohol, but still aren't sure if non-alcoholic beer is for you? It's time to give dry a try this month with Athletic Brewing, the most awarded non-alcoholic craft beer maker in the world. We all know there is nothing worse than waking up with a hangover and not being 100% present for your kids. But just imagine you can enjoy great tasting craft brews all night long and still be ready for whatever life throws at you tomorrow. Athletic produces a wide selection of great tasting near beers, including IPAs, Goldens, Darks, Light Brews, and more. Plus, their brews are fit for all time, so you can drink them anytime, anywhere. If you're planning to give Dry a try this January, you owe it to yourself to buy Athletic. Right now, new Athletic customers can receive 20% off their first order of two six-packs or more when they visit athleticbrewing.com and use the code ART20 at checkout by March 21st, 2023. What's going on, everybody? Art Eddie here for another edition of the Art of Fatherhood podcast. I'm very happy to have Gary Witta. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me, sir. How you doing? I'm good, thank you. Looking forward to chatting with you about uh, your great work that you do. But first, I want to talk about fatherhood, like bringing good guys like yourself to talk about their fatherhood journey. Take me back when you found out you were going to be a dad. What was going through your mind, sir? Um, with our first, um, wasn't planned. And um, I actually found out, and I, I remember it very specifically. I had no idea that it was even a thing. But my, uh, I remember my wife, I was in the kitchen. You know, it's funny how like specific moments in your, in your life, you kind of like have a photographic memory of certain moments. And certainly this one, I was standing in the kitchen um, at the stove and my wife came down with something in her hand, which I realized was a, a pregnancy test. And she said, I just took this test and I'm afraid to look at the result. Will you look at it for me and tell me what it says? And I, I said, I didn't even know she had been taking a test. This is the first I'd heard is when she uh, had come down with it in her hand. And it's interesting. I um I took the test from him. I didn't look at it right away. I remember I, I remember asking myself, what do, what do I what do I want it to be? Right. I kind of did like a gut check, and uh, it reminded me. Somebody told me once, if you if you're ever split on a decision, if you're fifty fifty on something, you can't decide. You know, to do one thing or the other. Flip a coin, and while the coin's in the air, you'll you'll know what side you want it to come down. <laughs> And that's, and that's how you like, just in that moment, you'll instinctively know what, if you want to see a head or a tail, right. And that's a kind of way to kind of figure out what you really want. And I remember thinking specifically in that moment, I said, I, I kind of want it to be positive. And it was. <laughs> I love that. One, the story is great Two, I'd never heard that before, but now oh, the coin that, flip. Man. Yeah. It, 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 you try it sometime. It works. I guess the whole two-faced thing has some reality to it, right? Right, right. <laughs> Love it. Talk a little bit about some of the values you're looking to instill into your kids as they're growing up. Oh, geez. I mean, I, I hate to give such like a pat answer, but like just all, just all, all kind of the basic stuff. I want, you know, I want them to, you know, res respect others around them and 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 demand the same for themselves. You know, I, I believe in the golden rule. You know, treat others as you would want to be treated, you know, treat people with, with dignity and understanding and, and empathy and, 
and respect and and be a good person and under, understand the value of, of 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 things in the world and what's important and what's not um you know charity kindness you know just all just all the good stuff i, I wish i wish i had kind of like a wiser answer but i feel like a lot the, the, the basic stuff's pretty well established i think they're you know they always say like the cliche a baby changes everything right but there's some there's a lot of truth in that right and it does but when it comes to values and you say like oh like maybe the basic stuff but like the basics are the things that are i, I think lay a good foundation to raising kids and making them positive people and, and making sure you equip them with, like you said, empathy and sympathy and love and care, but also respect for themselves. So I totally understand that. I, I, everything you said, my wife and I try and do that with our kids. What is something that your kids have taught you either about yourself or about life that you wouldn't mind sharing? Um, they have taught me that, um, I am not the center of my own universe. That was a, that was a, that was a tough lesson for me to learn. I was an only child. Okay. And I was, I wouldn't say I was spoiled, but I was very much indulged by my parents as, as a kid, you know, we were fortunate that uh, my dad worked very hard to kind of provide for us. So I never really wanted for anything. I'm fortunate in a way to um, have never really known, you know, as a kid, we never really kind of knew very much hardship or anything. I mean, my parents may have known about it, but I was always shielded from it. Like if I, um, you know, always had food on the table and clean clothes to wear and things like that and never had to, didn't have to struggle the way I know, you know, many others do. Um, and as a result, I think that led to me growing up a little bit selfish. And it's, it's a thing I've struggled with ever since. Like, why can't I just have things the way I want them? You know, that there's, there's, there's still a little bit like childlike selfishness in me. But when kids come along, of course, they recalibrate the center of your universe big time. You realize that you're no longer, um, the center of your own universe, but now something else is, and your life now revolves around this other thing. And that, took a that was a big adjustment for me that that took a while to kind of get get my my head around um you know putting it and again it sounds, it sounds like putting other people first obviously you know it should be second nature but if you and i don't don't forget i i also came into fatherhood quite late i was um uh 40 years old when my first child was born i'm 50 now and i've got a second one and so i had a long time to enjoy and indulge myself i had many many years of not having to worry about much other than what I wanted to do and what made me happy and what was best for me. Uh, and of course, once you have a family, you realize again, that equation changes, right? And it's not, or not, not you, still have, you still have to make time for yourself. Right. And, 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 um, and practice some self-care and do all that. You know, you, you don't want to completely neglect yourself, but you are no, you're, you're no longer the most important person in your own life. And that, that, that is something now that I'm, you know, completely on board with and understand. And it's, it's just, it's just second nature now. But when, when, um, when my first came along, it did that 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 kind of recalibration took a took a little while to settle in. Gotcha. I appreciate the honesty, and yeah, I think you know you realize, like you said, like how kind of self centered you are until you have kids. Because, like I said, like I love how you said, like the calibration change is so true. So, I mean, the nice thing about it is you don't really mind. Like it just yeah. you just accept it. It's not like well, I'm, wait, I'm wait, I'm not the I'm not the I'm not the I'm not the the protagonist of my own story anymore. This is bull. Like I want, I, I should be the most important person. You just kind of naturally, I think there's, there's something in the organic chemistry of your brain that is, you know, to do with, with fatherhood and you know, all the kind of the hardwired stuff that, you know, we're programmed to protect our kids and care about them. And, you know, when you, before you have kids, you, you hear that, you hear people say, Oh, I would jump in front of a train for my, for my, for my kids. But, but after you, once, once you actually have them, you, you realize that that actually is true. You would do anything for your kids. 
No doubt. No flipping a coin is seeing if you want to keep yourself a priority, the number one priority of your kids when you become a dad, right? <laughs> I remember, I'll give you one anecdote about it. I remember watching, you know, the Liam Neeson movie Taken when, when yeah. his daughter is kidnapped oh my God. and he kind of yeah. goes on a rampage around Europe to get her back. Like everyone intellectually. So I first saw that movie long before I had children. And I, you know, intellectually, of course, understand, well, it's his daughter. Of course, he's going to go get her. Um, but there's a difference between intellectually understanding something and and kind of, you know, emotionally empathetically understanding something like as a dad um and the first time i saw it i remember there's, there's a scene where he's at dinner he, he's at a dinner with someone who he thinks might know like what happened to his daughter and his wife is there as well and to get the guy to talk i'm gonna not remember this scene but he like he like shoots the like he kneecaps the wife and he's like tell me where the daughter tell me where my daughter is and i remember thinking wow like liam you've gone too far like <laughs> what are you doing like you, you might have lost me a little bit here i watched it again years later after i had a daughter and i was like i was totally with him i was like yeah do whatever it takes to get you know, to, to, you know to, to to get her back and it and it's um it's it has changed it changes the way that i write um i can't watch movies anymore where like children are in danger or like kidnapped or anything like that i find that my, i find those much harder to stomach um i, I see you're nodding I, I guess that's like a that's that's not just me right that it does once you become a dad like those things they hit different right oh for sure like we I, I, it's so impeccable that you mentioned the movie taken i remember watching it one time I'm like all right cool and then watching it after it became a dad especially with daughters i'm like I don't really want to watch this movie anymore because I'm going to be more panicked and thinking about the bad things than anything, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't really want to watch this anymore. Yeah. One more question before we get into your uh, career and writing and all that good stuff. Dad hack or piece of advice for new dads, what would you offer to them? Oh, geez, I don't know. I mean, I'm 10 years in and I'm still, I still feel like <laughs> I don't know anything. Um, I mean, I tell... I, I try I try not to I, th I think sometimes I, I when I talk about this I I, I come across as a bit of a, a bit negative about parenting I'm not at all I'm just a, I'm just pragmatic I'm just a realist having done it for 10 years I know how hard it is I remember several years ago there was um, a friend of mine that uh, had a baby on the way and uh, we're both we I come from the video game world we we're both like big video gamers and I remember saying to him you like playing video games right and he said yeah so play them all now like while, while you still can because I mean, to this, I mean, to this day, like, you know, my, my wife and I have to really kind of fight tooth and nail for like every minute of you know adult time we can get my TV backlog, my video game backlog, like my reading movie backlog. It's, you know, you, you're lucky to get maybe an hour at the end of the day between putting the last kid to bed and, and wanting to collapse into bed yourself. Maybe you've got time to like watch one show, you know, and it's, you're just, that, so I don't, I don't, I, I don't really know if there's like really a hack to to get around that other than you know trying to make the best of the of the of the free time that you do have remaining once once you know the you you've dealt with everything you your kids are bringing to you every day but, but again there's always a i guess it's it's just so i don't know if i i don't know if i have like a hack so much as i just have like my own kind of insights and advice and observations and just just the whole idea that that parenthood and fatherhood is like the most emotionally confusing relationship you can have in your life you know because your kids will dr absolutely drive you insane but they are also you know there are times when i've just wanted to get into the car and like but i live two blocks from the ocean and there are times when i've just wanted to get into the car and just drive it into the ocean uh, and we and we and, and we and we've all done and we've all done the thing like when when we're out in the car sometimes you'll just sit and park and sit in the car for 20 minutes just by yourself just to kind of have like a bit of like any like any free time that you can um it's 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 brutal sometimes but 
the emotionally confusing part of it is like is you know it's it's brutal and it's and it's infuriating and kids will drive you crazy but they also bring more joy into your life than anything else you could you could possibly imagine like i say i don't have a lot of time to play video games but the time that i do spend playing video games is now with my children and that is 10 times that's 10 times more fun than uh doing you know just just playing by yourself or with anyone else really i remember when and it's such a point of pride as well i remember when my daughter got her first crown in fall guys i've never been more proud i was like oh my god like you she's a little chip off the old block it's it, it really is the best yeah no doubt a couple of things a video game again that kind of sparked my own experience i remember my my oldest when she was in a, like one of those baby carriers baby bjorns or whatever I took her for a walk and she fell asleep. I'm like, I don't want to wake her up. I don't want to like open this thing up. So I just sat in a chair while she was sleeping on the baby Bjorn and I was playing video games. I'm like, oh, I can get around this, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. The, the only other thing, again, I guess you could call it a hack, but it, it really is just, again, just a piece of advice. And it's a piece of advice I give to parents all the time because I because I see it all the time, like on social media and when um, other people are just talking to me about their kids. I think it's I think it's a bad habit and it's one that I I've tried really hard to do which is like really try to resist the temptation not to inculcate your children with all of your own things that you like like for like for example I obviously have a very close connection to Star Wars and I grew up loving Star Wars but my kid doesn't have any particular interest in it and I mean maybe she will in 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 the future but like I what what I've never done and this is what I encourage parents to try not to do is like sit you sit your kids down in front of like whether whether it's Star Wars or anything, like, okay you're okay you're you've got to watch this because this is the stuff that I like and I want you to be like me and I want you to have the same the same tastes as me like I, I think trying to force your tastes on your kids because you want them to like the same things that you do a I think it it rarely works kids are going to like what they like they're going to discover things for for themselves like my kids are into video games not because I put a game controller in her hand and said you must play video games because I like to play video games, but she just saw us around the house playing video games and like just, and discovered her own interests. And we don't necessarily like the same game. She plays what, what she plays and I play what I play, but I, I don't try to kind of create like a little mini me in my own image where she can, where she shares all the own interests. I think, I think it can backfire. I think kids can be very rebellious and it can be counterproductive. And it's like, if you're trying to push this too hard on me, I'm just going to push back against it. And it's going to make me like it less, but just trust your kids to develop their own tastes and like what they like. Even, even if their tastes are baffling to you, my kids into a bunch of stuff that I will never begin to understand because, you know, she's a whole other generation separate from me. And she doesn't like a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that I like, but that's okay. Like there will, there will always be some stuff that you like, um in common um my, my you know there's the, you know, we all love bluey uh you know we all love you know my, my kid recently discovered that she likes demon slayer which is an anime that i really like so we've been watching that together just 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 let them and trust trust them to um develop their own tastes and discover the things that they like on their own and don't try to push your own tastes on your kids because I, I don't think it works and i really think it can it can backfire it can blow up in your face preach man yeah that is so true let them kind of figure out things on their own. And like, like you said, like if, if you want them maybe to get into video games, something like that, just don't even ask them to play with you when they're kind of young to start playing and be like, Oh, what you doing dad. Right. And they're like, Oh, playing just a game. And then you go from there. So yeah, <laughs> I like that. I, I see it all the time on social media. Like, you know, you, you never want like, there's nothing worse than like, no, nobody wants to be told how to parent their kids. Right. So I try to resist the temptation to do that as well. But like, I cringe every time I see a tweet from like, Someone that I know who's a dad saying, well, it's time, you know, it's that time I got to sit my kid down and she's got to watch all of Avatar The Last Airbender because that's what I like. And I'm like, don't, just don't. It's, 
it's not going to work. They're going to resent you for it. They, if, 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 if they're going to trust me, kids know what's out there. They discover a lot of stuff on their own, especially in this day and age. If, if she wants to like, or he wants to like the, the avatar, the last Airbender, they'll discover it by themselves. They do not need you to curate their entertainment, pop culture, media diet. They will find what they like by themselves. No doubt. It's kind of like the analogy of when parents live vicariously through their kids through sports. Like I wasn't good in football, but my kid's going to be right. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, that's really the only thing that I think does actually kind of get passed down, right? Like I'm a, like, I'm from England. I'm a fan of Tottenham Hotspur football club because my dad was, and he took, and he took me to a game. He took me to games when I was a kid and sports allegiances and sports loyalties, I think do kind of inherently get passed down from generation to generation. Right. But pop culture is different. I think, you know, that, that change, that changes so much from one generation to the next. You've just got to, you've just got to uh, trust you. Can, I mean, you can give them advice. My kid has come to me and asked me about things before I said, oh, if you want to see that, I'll put it on for you, but I'll, I'll, I'll never like, like plonk it down on the couch and like with the remote and say, right, we're going to watch this now. I think the only time I ever did that was with Wallace and Gromit because I just knew she was going to like it and yeah. she loved it. So I, th I think she had asked about it. So, oh, well, I said, now you've opened the door. We've got to watch the wrong trousers. And we did. And she loved it. That was the only time. I love it. Yeah, I remember watching The Wrong Trousers in high school. We had like a substitute and we were talking about cultures and all this other stuff. And he was like, hey, we're going to watch this. Like, all right, pretty cool. So that's awesome. Um, thank you for sharing that with the your fatherhood journey. We're going to finish off, you know, with the father quick five in a second. But I love bringing you out here because, as you can tell in my backdrop, I'm a big Star Wars fan, just like yourself. Rogue One, obviously, Andor people, you know, the series has started. Everyone's getting excited over that. But Rogue One, man, that movie is is such a great movie all the stuff that like came together and of course Cassian Andor uh was in it and as well but you worked on it with John Knoll writing that talk a little bit about the process of taking a story of putting characters that there were some characters that we kind of knew but you're bringing in new ones and even though people might know the story right we were blown I was still like a lot like I'm saying the collective we because I see everyone liking that movie we're just blown away by the storytelling the action and all that good stuff talk a little bit about how you approach that especially you being a fan of Star Wars. Talk about how you and John approach writing this. I mean, for, I mean, first of all, I always like to point out that, you know, my, the, the, the credit that I take for the writing that movie is, 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 is a very, is a very small piece of it. You know, there were, there were several credited writers on the movie, some others that worked on it that, that weren't even credited, but I, you know, so yeah, my, my piece of it is, is relatively, um, is relatively small, but I will, yeah, I was there at the beginning. I was kind of the first writer that they hired. John Nile was, um, the guy at Lucasfilm at ILM who came up with the idea for, hey, let's let's make a movie about the rebels that stole the Death Star plans. Like basically, let's dramatize the opening crawl from the original movie, you know, where they talk about how the rebels stole the plans. And that was his idea. And he had come up with um, a short story document. It was like a couple of pages long um, that talked about, you know, it had some of the basic Jin Erso was there, but like the Cassin Andor wasn't there. And um, uh, uh, I think there was like an early version of K2, but like Chiriton Bays and other characters that came later, none of those were in there yet. And I, I was the first writer that they hired to kind of come in and develop it with Gareth, the director who they hired like immediately after me. Um, and yeah, it was, it was very nerve wracking as a Star Wars fan. You know, I was, I was excited to be working in the original trilogy timeframe because those are the movies that I, you know, I, I'll always, I'll always have more an affinity for those than for the sequel or the prequel trilogies, just because, you know, those are the ones that, that was Star Wars when I was a kid. That's yep. what imprinted on me when I was a kid. Uh, you know, they always say, they had to say that like the, like you always think the best, the best area of music is whatever was around when you were 14 years old, you know, it's true. <laughs> yep. um, and so uh, it was, it, it was, it was, it was, it was exciting, but it was also very nerve wracking because we understood that what we were doing 
you know, Star Wars is not like any other movie. As Ryan Johnson says, it's in the category of one. Like it's it's absolutely the 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 you know the preeminent piece of pop culture that we have. You know, in the in the twentieth and twenty first centuries, it's it's there's nothing like it. Um, and you know, the fact that we were writing a movie that was intended to be a companion piece, right. That would sit literally right next to, I mean, you know, the events of rogue one are like literally like, like 24 hours before, you know, the original star Wars it's right. You, and you can literally watch the two movies back to back as like one film. If you want um, that, that, that was, that was very nerve wracking that we were being asked to kind of build essentially kind of like build an extension onto the side of, you know, one of the most significant pieces of pop culture ever made. Um, but you know, it, it, you know, it, uh, it, it came off and, and it's, it's incredibly, gratifying to me to see that the movie is as well liked as it is you know i think overall kind of the disney star wars movies i don't think i don't think it's ungenerous of me to be say they're kind of viewed as a bit of a mixed bag you know there's good bad and everything else in between in the in the in the new generation of movies that have been made but uh rogue one consistently seems to uh you know be at, at, at or near the top of the ones that people like the most from this new generation so we got away with it somehow you know it's it's it, it, a, a little bit of luck and uh, a, a whole lot of effort and again you know um, chris whites and john and the other writers that you know that, that worked on the movie and, and gareth of course and so many other people all contributed to, to to making it this 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 wonderful experience and i still get a thrill out of people like telling me that you know they like it as much as they do but then i always i always make a point of saying like I just did a little, you know, a tiny, tiny piece of it. I wasn't aware, not trying to take too much credit for it. Yeah. But, you know, I think, especially like you said, with the people that came on and all that stuff, you were, you know, the original person hired with uh, Noel to, you know, work on that. And I think that kind of speaks volumes to your work and Star Wars Rebels, I thought was another great thing that Dave Filoni did. And you got to write a few of those stories as well. I love the way that the ghost crew was, you know, introduced into the star Wars universe. Was there a storyline or character that you loved enjoy, like that you liked the best writing for? I mean, there's so many great characters, but the, the episodes that you've written for, what was like a character that you really indulged in writing for? I really like, I'm a, I'll always be a big fan of K2. One, one thing that I will take credit for is, is my little piece of K2. K2 is a great example of um a character that is you know the final version that you see in the film is is kind of a child of many many fathers john noll originally created him put him on the on the kind of the, on the on the crew uh and his idea for k2 originally was just kind of like a rebel i think he called him a rebel logistics droid and he kind of looked he kind of looked like a like a like a dark skin like a black metallic version of c3po but he was a logistics droid rather than a uh, a protocol droid, like super capable and and very very smart. And John's whole thing was, I don't want it to be just like, um, uh, yeah, a figure. You know how like three PO is really just kind of a joke character. Like all the jokes are constantly on him because he's because he's he's got such a stick up his butt that like everyone's always making fun of three PO. John wanted him to be kind of the opposite of that, like someone who actually was like really capable and competent and, and reliable. And I thought, okay, that's cool. Um, and my my big contribution to K two was the idea of, hey, what if he was an imperial droid that had been captured and reprogrammed by the rebellion and you know that so he could he, he would have a different look um and there was originally this idea they never made it into the finished film but there was originally this idea that like a lot of the rebels didn't like having him didn't like having him around and there were trust issues because uh no it's an imperial droid like how do we know if he, you know, he might turn on us and you know he never really felt like he was part of the team because he had come from the other he was always still kind of considered part of one of the enemy um uh, and then I started to kind of give him a little bit of that, a, a, a little bit of that acerbic tone. The, I think the idea was that, you know, when he was 
in, when he was an imperial droid, like imperial droids don't get to talk back, right? Because it's a very kind of bureaucratic disciplinarian culture. Um, and imperial droids just, you know, do what they're told. And if they say anything, you know, back to their to their superiors, they'll just get disassembled or reprogrammed or whatever. Um, but when the but when the rebels uh, capture him and bring him into the rebellion and kind of remove whatever programming restricts him in that way, he's kind of behavioral restraining bolt, whatever you want to call it. He's like, oh, he's going to make the best of that now. Now he's finally going to like have say what he wants to say. And so he became very acerbic. And I mean, I remember there was a there was a there was a line in the in my original script where like somebody asked him to like move a crate and he was like, why don't you move it? You've got you've got arms, don't you? Why are you telling me to do it? Like, he just didn't he didn't like to. He just really was like very resistant to authority and didn't didn't like taking orders from anyone. Um, and then you know uh, Chris White's came along and gave him even more personality. Um, and you know obviously Alan Tudyk and even like Hal Hickel and the people at ILM who designed the way that his eyes moved. Like every it's really interesting to think about like when you see a, a fully a, f a fully featured, fully complete character like K2SO, you think of it as one thing, right? But the reality is like so many different people contributed to that personality. The writers that gave, gave him the personality, the performer that then performs the personality and adds more to it, the designers that designed the visual look of him, the animators that even s s subtle things like the way that his eyes move, the, the, the modulation in his voice, the people at Skywalker Sound that add on. So many people contribute to that to the to the overall perception of who k2so is a character and then the other one i would say is from star wars rebels i just you know, it's funny how they're all droids but i love chopper i just always had so much time <laughs> for chopper and he's kind of i always felt like k2 and chopper would get on uh very very well because you know they're both you know they're, they're both very resistant to authority have you got a chopper around there somewhere i got a couple of them i'm just looking I'm sure for you do. <laughs> He's he's my he's my, he might be my favorite character in in all of Star Wars. I remember when I first met Dave Filoni and first started working on Rebels because I went on to Rebels right after Rogue One. We were talking about Chopper, and, he, and I remember he gave me a, a piece of advice that I, I carried with me whenever I would write Chopper. Uh, uh, subsequently to that, and it unlocked the whole character for me. He said, "Think about it this way: if R two D two is like your loyal dog." that is happy to see you when you come home and, you know, can go fetch things for you. And he's very happy to be around you. Chopper is like the feral cat that just does not give a fucking well, does, does what he wants and just doesn't care. Um, and I thought, Oh yeah, that's, ex that's exactly right. And I just, the, the, the you know, Chopper is always still great. Like any, like any star Wars droid, much like R2 is always like great in a tight spot. Well, he will ultimately always come through for you, but he's not your friend. Like he does whatever he wants and, and will tell you to go yourself. And that's <laughs> <laughs> i just i just i just love that that energy i think it's really really fun no doubt yeah man i <laughs> chopper you're like when you were watching like oh, man is he gonna what's he doing and like he's th like he's the one like kind of like with k2 like you were saying like you just you you know you take care of these crates yourself he'll do that he'll throw something at him like you do it yourself i'm not doing right. it right <laughs> right exactly i i remember when uh because you know chopper has a little cameo in rogue one Oh, um, yeah, yeah. and I, I was actually there the day that they shot his scene and I got to, I got to hang out with Chopper on the rebel base and it was the, it was the most cool thing. And I remember at the premiere when he has, his like, he's like, it's like a blink and you'll miss it. Like he rolls by in the background for like two seconds, but all like the super star Wars fans that are in the back, like the cosplayers and like five of first legion, all those guys, I go, Oh my God, Chopper. Like they all recognize him and they were so happy to see him there. He survived. We were in the theater and I was watching like Chopper and everyone's like, I'm like, oh, wait, I'm in a, I'm in a theater. I shouldn't be yelling at <laughs> um, uh, Another another series, actually, I just, uh, one of my friends was uh, saying like, I'm going to go on a drive, want an audio book. What should I choose? And I said, 
Star Wars certain point of view. If you haven't checked them out, those are great because that's another thing about like what you guys, you know, you call it it. Um, Rogue One was kind of like um, uh, in addition to A New Hope when Rebels obviously too leads up to kind of the rebellion as well. But certain point of view, the Empire and, and Star Wars books, New Hope were fantastic because you always got to wonder like what was going on at, you know, in Cloud City or what was going on on Tatooine with other people seeing what was going on with the main characters. Talk a little bit about like writing that book and also like, cause I know like for those that don't know it's um, their chapters and they each break down like different characters um, from a new hope and empire strikes back for my audience who doesn't know, but like you, there's so many great authors, so many great stories. How did you guys even like, kind of like, okay, Gary, you're writing this. Like how did that all come to be, man? I mean, I, I thought it was a really fun idea. I mean, so it came about back in 2017. It was the 40th anniversary of Star Wars. And 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 so the publisher decided to do this kind of 40th anniversary celebration. So it was 40 short stories from 40 different authors. And each one was from the point of view of, uh, you know, one of the kind of blink and you'll miss it type characters from, from Star Wars. One, one of the things that Star Wars is great at, right? I think about the Mos Eisley Cantina, right? So many characters that you see, like just for two seconds, you're just thinking, I want to know more about that guy. Like, what's his story? And that was kind of the fun of it was to kind of retell the scenes from uh, the first movie in chronological order, you know, from the point of view of characters that, you know, you only see, um, you know, for a, for a few moments. In terms of like how they were doled out, I, I, I remember, you know, the, the publisher, you know, came to me and, and had a list of like, here's a list of characters, here's a list of characters that have already been like some other authors have already kind of like called dibs on they want to do this character or that character but otherwise just let us know like who you want to do everyone's up for grabs and so i got to do that initially with uh, captain antilles in um in uh the first star wars and then zev Sineska rogue 2 the pilot that was the, the the speeder pilot that finds um han and uh, luke on hoth in empire strikes back um it's yeah it's just it's just a fun thing to do i mean the start the, the star wars universe is so rich just even by suggestion i remember you know when i was a kid watching star wars for the first time and when Obi-Wan Kenobi talks about the Clone Wars, like your imagination just goes, runs right. Oh, what the hell is the Clone Wars? Like, and you start thinking about that and it just, you know, just two words and you instantly, you know, there's a whole world suggested by that. As I said, it, there's, there's so many kind of background characters and, you know, that you, you want, you just want to know, you instantly just want to know more. They, they're so intriguing to your imagination. So the idea of a, um of, of kind of an anthology that, that would get, that, that would give you a little bit more and like, we didn't we didn't take it 100 seriously i mean literally one of the stories as i recall from the first book is literally the kind of the the trash compactor monster right the dianoga <laughs> that kind of pulls it's like that, that you know it's and so it's it's some are more serious than others some are really comedic some are some are more serious um it's it's just fun there's, there's such an appetite out there for for people people love star wars so much that they want to pull it every possible thread and that that was just a kind of a fun way to indulge people's appetites for for more, you know, more insight into some of the background characters. You, you know, like the characters that are never going to get their own TV show, like there's not that much interest, but like a short story that will give you just a little kind of bite-sized vignette, a little insight into a character that you wouldn't otherwise have, have um, known too much about, I think was a really fun way to, to approach that. Yeah, man, those books are, I highly recommend them. And they're so enjoyable. Like you said, like they're not going to have TV shows or animated series, I'll like, you know, focusing them, focusing around them. But these snippets into their quick, you know, glimpse into the Star Wars universe is fantastic. Again, Star Wars, people know the fandom and it's like a lot of pressure. You've also written for DC, Batman. <laughs> and and I, I like the fact that in comic books, I think it's a little bit more uh, spacious and there's more give when it comes to comic books, because there's different titles and people take on the, how they see certain characters. But talk a little about DC and writing for Batman and other uh, characters. 
I mean, it's just it's you know one of the one of the greatest privileges of my job as a writer is, you know, to get to play in these sandboxes that I loved when I was a kid. The analogy I often give is, you know, when we were kids, or we always start, we we all had our Star Wars figures or our Batman and Joker action figures, and we would kind of bash them together, right, and make them fight and tell ourselves little stories when we were eight, ten years old. Um, I I I still I still do that for a living now, except to get paid to do it, and the action figures cost a lot more money, and that is you know that's you know what a what a treat like the ten year old it keeps it keeps my inner ten year old uh, alive, and that's really how I like to think about the work that I do, and so obviously whether it's Star Wars or Walking Dead or or Batman as you just mentioned, like it's it's a, it's it's a great privilege to be able to kind of um to be invited in into those into those sandboxes to kind of play and contribute a piece and in the case of batman uh what happened was I, i've done quite a bit of comic book work and uh there was an editor at dc who had liked something that i had done and asked me if i wanted to write a a story about the joker because they were doing a in much the same way a certain point of view that was it was it was the 80th anniversary of the joker a couple of years ago first appearance in dc comics and they they did a similar thing it was like different authors writing different short stories different points of view on on the joker uh, and so I wrote a Joker story that they really liked, and uh, they came back and said, "Do you want to do something more substantial, like pitch us an original Batman story?" And so I did myself and um, my friend Derek Robertson, who you probably best know as like co-creator of The Boys, big hit on Amazon right now. He's oh, yeah. done an incredible amount of comic book work. I've worked with Derek before. Um, we came up with a with a story that we both liked and, and pitched it to DC, and uh, it's called Batman Fortress. And issue six, I believe, is coming out next week, and uh, it's an eight issue run. At the end of the run, the whole thing will be kind of, you know, anthologized into like a big, you know, graphic novel, uh, what they call a trade paperback. Um, and uh, it's been really, really fun. Like I said, it's 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 I'm exercising exactly the same creative muscles as I did when I was a 10 year old kid bashing the action figures together. The stories have to make a bit more sense now. I don't get I don't just get to make it up as I go. Um <laughs> Or do like oh they woke up it was all a dream or whatever like you don't I don't you don't get you don't get the ten year old story cop outs that I had when I was a kid but uh, it's but it's the same like wouldn't it be cool if this happened you know it's you just get to do that and that the fact that the fact that I'm still when I was ten when I was ten years old if someone if I'd like kind of like come back from the future and said guess what kid when you're fifty years old you will still be doing this except they're gonna pay you to do it like ridiculous but here I am oh that's awesome one more question before the father quick five. Video games, man. We know that, that you you saying earlier that's where uh, you kind of had um, some industry working as well. You love video games. Talk a little bit about how you approach writing for video games over, you know, movies, TV series, and comic books. I mean, that was I mean that was kind of my first love. Before I was a screenwriter, my whole career I had a whole career in video games. I grew up loving video games. I grew up during kind of the eight bit, sixteen bit era of video games. I had like a Commodore sixty four, Super Nintendo. Nice. Uh, that kind of stuff, and uh, I've just always been a big video gamer. Still am to this day. I have a, you know, still have like you know, in, uh, upstairs there's a PlayStation Five and a Xbox Series X and a Nintendo Switch, and I got a gaming PC. I like, I just love, love games, and always, always have. It's probably my longest kind of love affair is with is with video games. My in my my entire life, and um, I never thought it, it, it's funny. Again, even when I was a kid, I was doing kind of doing the same thing as the action figures, like because video games never had, used to have much of a story, right? Sorry, Mario, the princess is another castle. Like that was it for storytelling in video games. <laughs> and I so I would play video games that didn't have much of a story, and so I would kind of like headcanon my own story and like and, and kind of write in my own head the story of what was going on in the video game because the game was, wasn't really trying to tell much of a story. So I would kind of come up with come up with one myself, like backstory and stuff like that. And of course, now we live in an age where where video games have evolved to the point where they do actually have like far greater ambitions to tell stories. And there's incredible storytelling 
being done in video games, whether it's like, you know, like The Last of Us or whatever, you know, there's great stories to be told in video games, which, you know, I think in some cases, um, you know, can stand up against the best of film and television. And in some cases, even go beyond because the interactive element allows you to, allows you to kind of take the next step. Like you can create your own story. You know, it's all you kind of choose your own adventure. You know, you can create your own ending and and carve your own path and actually feel like you're not just not just a, a, the, the 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 audience for the story, but also also one of the storytellers, right? Because you have a hand in how the story plays out, and I find that fascinating. So yeah, I've I have I have done some work in that in that realm. I worked on the the, the Walking Dead Telltale game, which again was that kind of choose your own adventure, um, uh, you know, branching path narrative type game that was really fun to work on um that's i've done some consultancy work on um on the halo franchise i worked on a did some did some early story work on a game called uh for spoken that's coming out for playstation 5 next year it's really it's really really fun it's very time consuming and specifically in the case of the branching narratives it's i find it the hardest kind of work to do because you all you have all the traditional burdens of it's got to be an interesting character and a compelling story and the audience needs to be invested. You don't want it to be, you know, you want it to be surprising. You don't want to be too tropey. All of the things that you have to think about when you're thinking about film and television or writing a novel or a comic book. But then on top of that, you have the additional burden of, well, how do we make the player part of the storytelling process? Not just someone who's consuming and consuming and experiencing the story, but like they're the protagonist, right? That's the difference. When I'm watching like Luke Skywalker running around, you know, in star Wars, I'm, I'm watching another character, but in a video game, I am Luke Skywalker and I'm responsible for the choices that he makes. Well, you know, whatever character you want to, you want to um, bring up. And so there, there's a tremendous, there's a tremendous opportunity creatively to, I think, really deepen and enhance what storytelling can mean to an audience by making them part of the storytelling process by, in, by inviting them to step into the shoes of the protagonist and make choices and experience it. If, as if you were, the, as if you were that, the, you know, the hero of the story, um, it's just, but there, there is a lot of additional, it's just so much harder to make work when, when it does work, it's brilliant. But I think, I, I, I think that the people that work in video game narrative are often the most unsung heroes in any storytelling medium, because it's so much harder to make, I think in many cases, much harder to tell a compelling video game story than it is like, you know, a, a good movie or a good television show. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, for me, I grew up with Atari, uh, Atari 2600, uh, yep. and like, you know, Nintendo and Sega and all that good stuff. I remember for me, it was right probably around when PlayStation 1 came out, where I started feeling like even my friends would sit, sit down and watch if we were playing Taking Turns was Metal Gear. Like, that was the one where it was like, that felt like there was a story. There was something where maybe it wasn't as you can control the whole thing, but like, that was like, felt like a movie to us. <laughs> so right. that I felt like that was the era of like, all right, let's just get the storytelling in there. Thank you very much. You've been very generous with your time. We're going to finish off with a fatherhood quick five. Favorite family movie. Do you guys have one right now? God, and you know what it's like with kids it changes every week like <laughs> my kid my kids favorite animated movie of all time is whatever the last one she watched is um <laughs> so true um <laughs> like right now like right now it's dc league of super pets that's the best movie okay. that's the, the, the best movie my kid's ever seen until she sees the next one right she she just loves them i think for me you know I, i'll give you a serious answer though i think that i think for me my personal favorite movie that i've watched like with my kid and and as a dad is uh, inside out oh. because i love that movie and i think what i think what is often underappreciated about it is what that movie is really about which is this idea of 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 i, I think it's actually a really valuable movie for young kids to watch as well because it teaches kids about understanding their emotions 
And this whole idea that as you, I, I remember watching it and understand because I was a, I was, I was a, I was a dad when that movie came out, and I remember thinking, what a genius way to illustrate this concept to a child that it's okay to feel happy and sad at the same time. Yeah. The, the those kind of complex emotions, like as you grow older, your emotions become more complicated. Like when you're a baby, all you know is like, I'm crying because I'm hungry. I'm crying because I've got a dirty diaper or whatever. And then, you know, as you, as, and by the time you're an adolescent, obviously your, your, your emotions are incredibly complex and you can't even understand them. And as an adult, we still try to understand our emotions and why, why we go to therapy, right? Because our brains are a mess. But that, that whole idea of like, there's a, there's a point in your life where you start to emotionally mature and you're, emo and you start to, and you start to generate more complex emotions and it, it can be confusing and scary and what does this mean? Is the same in the same way that your body goes through all these changes in adolescence, your brain does as well, right? As you as you start to evolve and mature. And I just thought inside, I, I thought inside out was like a fun, oh, what are you little people, you know, that, that are, like pulling levers and making you do things inside your head? Like that's the that's the the basic concept of it. Um, but when you realize that it's that it's actually, I think, a really deeply insightful look inside like the mind of a, the, the emotional mind of a, of a of a child as they're growing up. I just, I just thought that was brilliant. Really, really, really valuable movie for parents and children. Yeah. And so, like, uh, Lewis Black, his anger was just hilarious. Right. <laughs> uh, favorite album or song or artist you can't wait to, or maybe now because she's 10, like, you, you're like, hey, ch I mean, and I know you said, like, you're not going to show your fandoms or, like, don't press your fandoms on your kids, but, like, is there an artist or a band you couldn't wait to introduce your kids to? Again, this is this is this is one where, like, my my kid right now, like, her, her tastes are so different than mine. Like, I can't bear any of the, the music she listens to is like not my taste at all i just and she's not really into she's not i mean she just likes she likes movie music from video games and and weird stuff like that but like she doesn't i don't i, I can't even think of that and i and i and again it's another area where like i've never even tried like i'm never saying, oh you must listen to this or you must listen to that like like every every now and again like for example we we're in the car the other day and there was a beatles song playing and she asked, and she asked me what it was, and I said, "Oh, this is a song by the Beatles. Have you, do you know who they are?" And she said, "No." And I, I told her, "It's like the most famous rock band of all time, and like they changed music forever." And she just kind of went, "Oh, okay," and like went back to her. her <laughs> thinking, like, doesn't care. Um, I, 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 again, I think it's, I think it's something. There, there is like a, I think there is an urge, and it's an understandable urge for parents. Like it's not about, it's not necessarily about wanting kids to like the same stuff that you like but there is i think an educational aspect of like she should know who the beatles are right because it's that they're, they're that's that's history right i mean there are there are some or mozart or frank sinatra or whatever there are certain music there are certain acts and certain people in the world who um you know are transcend just popular culture and your own musical tastes and actually are a part of history for for the most part, yeah, it's um there isn't there I again much like with film and television, I never try to like say, Oh, you should listen to this, you should listen to that. Like occasionally if we're in the car and I'm playing some music that I like and my kid asks about it, I'll I'll tell her and oh, you know, if you want, I can put this in your playlist or whatever. But um like I, we we just kind of do our own thing, like literally trying, taking my kid to um school this morning. And uh, I was listening to the to the Sinatra station on satellite radio. She's like, I don't like this. I said, Well, tough, it's my car, we're listening to it. Yeah. <laughs> nice um describe the perfect family vacation where would it be oh i i, I am so it's a shame you know because of covid you know we, we, we lost we lost like two or three years of really really being able to go places but um the three the three places that i've really enjoyed going with my kids uh so far uh, or i should say kid because we haven't really the, the little one's too small to really appreciate going on a vacation but with my but with my oldest who's now 10 um 
we uh, my I one one of my favorite things I ever got to do as a parent was was my daughter would uh, I she was, a, she was a big fan of Frozen because every kid that goes through goes through goes through goes through a Frozen phase, and she talked about how she had never seen snow and she wanted to see it. We live in San Francisco where it never it's never snowed in San Francisco, but you know Lake Tahoe is just around the corner. We we took her on a trip. We didn't tell her where we were going until we got there, and and when she, and and she got to like run around in the snow and do snow angels and stuff, and it was like. That was one of the one of those few moments where you kind of go like, yeah, I've, I've I've done right as a dad. You know, we did something for my kid that she really loved. She got to make snowmen and and throw snowballs around, and we did the whole kind of Tahoe thing, you know, sledding and stuff. And she loved that. That was great. And then we did a family trip to um, Hawaii, and it's just like it's you know we went to the Alani Disney Resort, which is again very family friendly. Like it's all you know they have everything for kids there, and it's just you know it's not particularly adventurous kind of vacation um but she loved it and and um and then the third the third, the third one's really obvious uh was we uh when my daughter was was a bit younger we took her to disneyland for the first time and again there's something about like you know when she goes to meet when she got to meet anna and elsa obviously we know who they are but like when you're six years old that's anna and elsa like those yeah. aren't you know disney disney actors that are playing those characters for a kid there's no difference and when you realize that and you see kind of the, her face light up as she's meeting these characters that have, for her, they just stepped out of the movie screen and became real, absolutely magical. And you, you start to understand, you know, as, as, you know, again, as an adult, you go to Disneyland and experience it a certain way. But when you're a parent of kids, you see, you understand why Disney is a multi-billion dollar company, because they do have that ability to kind of transport children to another place. Um, and yeah, that was really, really cool. I can't, can't wait to say my, my other kid there when she's old enough. Nice. Love it. All right. So you kind of may, maybe mentioned these characters. Favorite Star Wars character? Would it be Chopper or K, uh, K2 or who else would it be? Or And then also two favorite DC character. Um, so I, 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 of those two, I don't know. It's kind of a, it's kind of a tie. I would love to see them meet at some point. There's no reason why they couldn't. They, they occupy kind of, you know, they, they, don't, they don't occupy terribly different parts of the chronology. Maybe Disney Plus will find a way to put them together at some point. Uh, I'm also a big fan of Admiral Akbar. I don't know why I just do. I just always liked him. And then for DC, always been a, I've just always been a big fan of Superman. Superman's always been my my favorite. In fact, um, the Batman comic that I'm doing right now is very, um, even though it's ostensibly a Batman comic, Superman's kind of at the heart of it uh, because it's all about um, the Fortress of Solitude and Batman needs to get in, get it, basically kind of break into the Fortress of Solitude because Superman's gone missing. And um, yeah, I just, I just always liked the idea of, of everything that kind of Superman stands for, you know, truth and justice and, and, and being the best versions of ourselves and aspiring to higher ideals. And it just, you know, just, I always felt like Superman just this great kind of pop cultural avatar of everything that we, that we want to be like, you know, people, when we're at our best. No doubt. And lastly, top three words you hope your kids would use to describe you as a dad. What would you want them to be? Jeez. I would, you know what, I, you know what, <laughs> kind of want to ask my kid that when I pick her up from school later and like what three words would you use to describe me god knows yeah. what she would come up with I don't know I would take awesome which is you know just a just a nice 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 generic compliment from a kid uh I hope she would say fun I try I try to be the fun dad you know sometimes I can I can be grumpy but like I always I, I always try to be kind of silly with her we do a lot yeah. of silly stuff and we get we play a lot of video games and we prank each other and do stupid stuff we're often kind of more like kind of brother and sister than <laughs> father and daughter because we're constantly you know kind of clowning clowning each other um funny yeah you know just the, again like the I, I don't have anything terribly insightful but i think i think I, I if you ask me what i think she would say i think she would i think she would describe me as like fun and funny and and silly and that that's you know i, I i'm sure you've heard this a million times now because you because you talk a lot about fatherhood 
but um you know bandit is really the role model you know for dads everywhere now from the the, the dad from bluey yeah in fact i've in fact i've heard a lot of, i heard that a lot of dads have a love-hate relationship with bandit because they they all look up to him but they're like you've set an impossible standard for fatherhood that real dads can never like no dad in reality is as awesome as bandit but like we all try to be yeah all, all, all dads aspire to have a little bit of bandit in them i think Love it. Great three words right there. I appreciate your insight and I appreciate your time. People, make sure you follow Gary on Twitter at Gary Witta and then also on Instagram at G Witta. Thank you so much for your time. Really, like I said, it was an honor to chat with you. A big fan of your work and I wish you and your family continued success, sir. Thanks for having me. I want to thank you for checking out this week's episode of the Art of Fatherhood podcast. And I also want to say a big thank you to this week's sponsor, Athletic Brewing Company. Whether you're looking to cut alcohol for life or just a night, you shouldn't have to sacrifice your ability to be healthy, active, and at your best to enjoy a great beer. Go to athleticbrewing.com and check out all their great beers. And while you're online, go to artoffatherhood.net. You can have a chance to check out some great articles like the weekly Dad's Doing It Right column, the Collector of the Week, and many more. Plus, you have a chance to win some very cool prizes like video games, collectibles, all that good stuff. Go to artoffatherhood.net and please make sure you rate, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to podcasts because I'll greatly appreciate it to get the word out on the Art of Fatherhood podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Art of Fatherhood podcast. Leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts and go to artoffatherhood.net.